Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. With only a couple messages left in this series, we come today to one of the clearest pictures in the scriptures on the subject of light and darkness. We will see that our attitudes towards each other and our behaviors become defining characteristics that are drawn from our identity as belonging to God. Thanks for listening as we examine the question this morning as to how a child of the light should prepare for Jesus' return. I wonder if you've ever had this moment back in grade school. Do, do you remember what it was like to get to school and you, you, you took your, your uh, snow pants off and hung up your coat and got your lunchbox where it belonged only to find out that today was the test day and you forgot you ever have that happen to you where, where you showed up and, and the, the teacher said, all right, clear your desks, time for the exam. And that moment felt like it slowed down because you didn't do any studying. You didn't do any preparation. I can remember uh, this happening to me in middle school and feeling like suddenly I was just covered with sweat and fear because I wanted to do so good on the test. But I had known, even though it was coming, I had not prepared at all. I was not ready at all. Uh, When I was a teacher uh, working as a missionary, uh, I remember this same concern. So I would give my students plenty of heads up. Weeks in advance, I tell them, mark your calendars. Here's when the test is coming. Make sure you study. Make sure you study. Make sure you study. And you know what? There was this, there's this one student that I had. He just hated science class. And I mean, he was kind of a, Kind of a, one of those joker kind of guys, right? Really personable, just easy to like and love, except when it came to doing what you were supposed to do. And I remember test day I came, came and I said, clear off your desks. And you should have seen the scorn in this young man's face. I mean, just as if it was all my fault that he was unprepared for the test. Isn't that, isn't that human nature? Isn't that how we are? Uh, we, we don't want to take personal responsibility. We would rather put the blame to somebody else than know, oh, yes, I probably should have been practicing what I was told. I probably should have been preparing, even though finals are here. I'm unprepared, but I, I got nobody to blame but who? I got nobody to blame but myself. You know, there is a final day. There, there's a final exam in life. There's a day that has been appointed by God when he says, time's up, clear your desk. Because the exam has been printed and this is it. No more chances, uh, no more extensions, no retakes, no, no doctor's note, no the dog ate my homework. The good news is you can pass the test ahead of time. Did you know that? You don't have to wait till the, till the day. You don't have to wait till finals. You could pass that test right now. Have it locked in, done, completed, aced it. Now, you can't do it by yourself. You, you need help. I mean, you and I will fail completely. In fact, without Jesus, you will be completely unprepared for this exam. But the good news is, with Jesus, you can put an A and lock it into the books right now. And then you can live every day from now until that day with the freedom of knowing there is no exam left for me to worry about. There's no moment for me to sweat and get all my hands wrangled up and look to see what what my neighbor put on his paper. (laughs) 
You can settle that right now. We're, uh, we're in this series called Let There Be Light. And today we're working towards the end of our series. Uh, the subject matter for today is looking at the day of Jesus's return. He is coming again, church. He is coming soon. And the call all the way back 2,000 years ago from the Apostle Paul to the church in Thessalonica was, you need to be prepared. You need to make sure that you are watching for this because the world around you is going to dupe you into believing, I ain't never going to come. Even when the Apostle Peter writes to the church, he says the exact same thing, that people keep scoffing. Oh, Jesus is coming. Yeah, Jesus has been coming for a long time now. He ain't coming. Paul and Peter both want to call to the church to say, look, you need to be prepared. And there are certain things you need to give your attention to while we wait for that day. So this morning we're going to be in the book of 1 Thessalonians. I hope you have a Bible. If you didn't bring one today, you could grab one out of the front of the pew in front of you and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. That's page 1684 in the pew Bibles. And as you're turning there, we're, gonna, we're really going to focus in on verses 4 through 11. I, however, uh, would actually like to begin right at the very beginning of the chapter. So we'll start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 in verse 1. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace, safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like the others who are asleep. But let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. Putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive Salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. That was our verse, uh, Jen. What was that our verse for our uh, youth group, right? So uh, a good theme, I believe, the Lord here is, is, is teaching us on many different generational levels. Uh, therefore, encourage one another, build one another up. That's just, in fact, that you are doing. Key passage here that we're going to get to as we move all the way through it. I do want to bring out some key observations, though, as we work through this passage. First off, number one, Christians are to expect the return of the Lord. So at the very beginning of this, you will see as Paul works to the end of his letter, at the very beginning here of chapter 5, he says that there are certain people who near the time of Jesus' return are going to be saying something. Two two words they're going to be saying. Did you catch it in verse 3? 
Peace and what? Peace and safety. You know, I, I, ever, ever since there have been Christians, we have always been called to watch for his return. And in every generation, everybody has thought Jesus is going to return when? Us, right now, right? And, and the place where I see this most often is what I believe is often maybe a, mis, a misinterpretation of the Olivet Discourse where uh, Jesus is talking about the tribulations are going to come. Um, people seem to think that's, what's, that's the signs. That's, what's going, that's what it's going to look like when Jesus returns. Except that's not it. In fact, if you read further, I just ask me this on Wednesday for a Bible study. We, we'll dig in deeper on this one. But you see it right here. I, got, I have had people come to me and say, the coronavirus, you, this uh, world's going to pot, right? Things are going terrible. Does that mean Jesus is going to return? Well, what does the text here say? What's going to be the indication? People are going to be what? Panicked or pretty laid back? Yeah, everybody, the whole world is going to be living in prosperity. The whole world is going to be living in opulence and wealth. In fact, the words of Jesus back to the Olivet Discourse it goes like this. People will be marrying and building and, and celebrating. That is what the season and the temperature of the world is going to look like when guess what is going to happen? Yeah, we used to play a game when I was little. You'd cover your eyes like in, you were in the dark. And then when you were ready, you would say these words. Ready or ready or not. That's a little scary when you think about the return of the Lord, isn't it? That's essentially what our passage here is saying. Ready or not, here I come. And the call to the church is be ready. Be ready because the church ought to be expecting the return of the Lord. It shouldn't surprise you is exactly what it says in verse four. Can you turn there? Right. But you brothers are not in darkness. So this, this day should surprise you like a thief. Now for something not to be a surprise, um, you have had forewarning of it. You're, you're aware of it. That way it's not a surprise. Uh, have you guys seen star Wars? Remember that movie? Star Wars. You know, the, the, there's a moment, I forget which one it happens to be, but where uh, Darth Vader says, Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. I may be spoiling the movie for you right now, but too bad. And Luke Skywalker says, he told me that you killed him. And Darth Vader says, no, Luke, I am your. <gasps> what? You remember that? You remember watching that being like, no way. Wow. Totally shocked you, right? But then as you rewatch the movie again and again, what does that moment do for you? You're not, you're not surprised by it. You, in fact, you could look at the people who haven't seen it. Watch this. This is awesome. Watch how they, you're just going to blow your mind, right? No, you're, you're aware of it. It's not going to shock you. You and I have been given the script ahead of time. We have. It's, it's in your hands right now. You and I have been told the story, the unfolding picture of what it will look like when he comes back. Jesus is coming again, church. Paul says, this day should not surprise you. Uh, another way that we uh, help one another in this is by continually reminding each other of this. Uh, it, was, it was not too long ago, uh, our neighbor told me he was going to come over to the house and, and then uh, he just, he, he, he showed up. And guess who I forgot to tell that our neighbor was coming over? Yes, my dear wife. So 
I got a little reminder of my need to communicate better after he left, but thank goodness she had the house spick and span. It was just perfect. Everything was great. But yeah, how, how could I have remedied that? I could have had some better communication. I could have had the reminder what that which I knew could have been shared. This is exactly what Paul has in mind that the church needs to be doing, reminding ourselves of this, sharing this news with one another. In fact, we are told in the book of 1 Corinthians that when we practice the Lord's Supper, when we practice communion, we do so proclaiming his death until one. Until when? Until he returns. This is supposed to be a regular practice of our life so that, number one, Christians expect it. You're not surprised by it. You're not out of the loop with it. Everybody with me with this? Give me an amen if you're with me. All right, good. Number two, non-Christians are asleep to the return of the Lord. They're asleep. Um, if you were to look up in a lexicon this word asleep, uh, it, it means that in, in the context in which we have it, normally it just means to sleep. Like totally is the word that means put your head on the pillow and go to sleep. That's what the word regularly means. But in this context, it means to be spiritually indifferent we, we have a word for that. Sounds like this. Meh. Let's all do that together. Ready? Meh. Yeah. Meh. I ain't too, ain't too worried about it. I'm spiritually indifferent. The world is spiritually indifferent to the return of the Lord. If you go to somebody and they don't have faith, they don't love Jesus, they haven't placed their faith in Jesus, and you were to tell them, Jesus is returning, they'd be like, oh, I forgot you were, you're one of those people. Yeah. That's fine. That's fine for you, right? Uh, I, I don't impose on you my beliefs, and you can keep yours to yourself too. Thank you very much. Because they're not interested. Um, I, I like watching the Discovery Channel. Anybody else with me there? Enjoy the latest scientific... You know, you know what Discovery Channel is not much about anymore? It's, it's more reality TV now. But there's this one show that I really like called Alaskan Bush People. Has anyone ever seen that show? Alaskan Bush People. I have, a, I have a roommate from Alaska. He's not too thrilled with that show. He thinks it's a poor characterization of folks in Alaska, but it's really kind of fun for me. If I were to sit down with Emily and say, "Hun, they got a new episode of Alaskan Bush People. I can't wait to watch it. And she were to sit down next to me on the couch. Do you know what she would look like after 15 minutes? Because <laughs> she's not interested. She's just, just not interested. Um, she and the kids were wa- watching Annie. You guys know the Tomorrow, tomorrow. Wait, you, know, you know the movie? If I sit down and watch that. Because <laughs> I'm not interested. This is what the world is like. They're, they're spiritually indifferent. They're not interested in the things of God. They, they, they sleep from it. In fact, look with me back in the text in verse 6. It says, So then, let us not be like the others who are asleep. Um, you could play, you could, back in school again, in middle school, you could pr- play some jokes on the buddy sitting next to you if he fell asleep in class, right? I'd nudge him and say, Hey, they asked you to do the pledge. Middle of class. I pledge allegiance to the flag. What should you not be doing? Sleeping because you're missing it. And the reason why the world misses it is because they're not interested. Think, about, think, think of this with me for a moment. What about you? Oh, pastor, I ain't like the world. I'm at church, ain't I? <laughs> yeah, I, I came to church. When, when's it going to be over, by the way? There's a game coming up later today. You, you may be here, but how interested are you? Really? How, how much 
does Jesus have the rest of your week? He's got this hour. That's awesome. How much of your day, Monday through Saturday, does Jesus occupy? It's a dangerous thing. And I think churches, sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking this is all that really matters. You just come to church to leave. You're fine. Go on with your life. Jesus says, I want all of you, all of you, not just one day. So we got to be very careful with this one and make sure that you don't leave here awake and then fall asleep through the rest of the week because you're really not interested in the things of God. Number three, Chris, let's go back to Christians again. Christian, a Christian's identity is as a child or children of light. If you look with me in verse eight, you will see this. But since we belong to the day, that's a beautiful word, belong. It's a, it's a word of possession. Whose are you? Well, I, I belong to the day. Um, when I would travel internationally as a missionary, as, I got, uh, as we landed in the airport, we would go through uh, the hallways with a big sign that said um, customs and immigration. Ever, anyone else ever travel internationally? You have to go through customs and immigration. Yep. They have two lines there. Did you know that? They have two lines as you come to the United States. They have one line for non-citizens and one line for U.S. citizens. And I, I and my family go one way because of our identity, because of where we come from. We don't go into the other line. That's the same concept here. You belong to the day. You belong to Jesus. In fact, there's a, there's a better word that's used up in verse 5. Um, some updated versions may call it children or people. My version says, you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. Uh, sons here doesn't, it's not just males. It's, it's sons and daughters. It's the family of God. But it's speaking of where you come from. So w- when I'm walking through the airport, um, I've got my two kids with me. And I'm constantly telling them, by the way, I'm, I'm a peach to travel with, you guys. I'm just the best. Oh, my goodness. That's such a lie. I should, I should repent of that. I hate to travel. I, I want to just get there. And the whole time, I am the fussiest person. Y'all should just give my wife a hug because she's got to put up with me as we travel. And I don't want to wait, and I don't want to stop at the bathroom, and I don't want to get a pretzel at Annie Ann's. I want to get to the gate and sit and then get on the plane and then get to where we're going. So I have these two kids with me, and I have these long legs, but I have to continually pull them along, keep them along, keep up with me. Why am I not doing that to the other children in the airport? They don't belong to me. Those are my sons and daughters. But what am I doing for mine? What am I doing for mine? I'm making sure that they're right where they belong. I'm making sure that they are right with me because they belong to me because their identity is being a child of mine. Christian, your identity is a child of light. A child of the light. Oh, I, I never live in darkness. Mm, it's a good thing you're in church. We need to be reminded of this. The way we think, the way we treat others, those values of the loves that own part of our heart. Make sure that they aren't like those random kids running around any which way, blown this and that way by every whim and wave of the world. But remember that your heart belongs to Jesus. You are called by his family, a son and a daughter, for your identity consists of 
light and not darkness. Well, let's look at the non-Christians from this passage. Non-Christians' identity is defined by deeds that are done in darkness. If you look with me back into the text in verse 5, the second half of it. So verse 5 says, you're all sons of the light, sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Well, a a non-Christian does. In verse 7, you'll see something very similar. He says, for those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. I, uh, in high school, uh, would encounter my friends on Monday. So Monday morning, a bunch of my buddies would be coming. Hey, were you at the party this weekend? Did you get to go to the party? It was awesome, man. We got hammered. It was awesome. And thankfully, I was always quite clueless to that, not ever really understanding what the appeal was to getting hammered. I have hammered my finger before, and it didn't feel good. So never really made a lot of sense to me. These friends of mine would develop this camaraderie for all of those who that weekend, that Saturday night, that Sunday night, were getting wasted. For them, that became their little fellowship of people. And do you know something? Not a single one of them had their parents with them. Did you know that? They didn't. Think for a moment of something that you've done in your life that's wrong. Was your mom there? No. Uh, It's because you do these when nobody can see they're deeds of darkness. Every one of my buddies getting hammered, was getting hammered well after their bedtime. Nobody being around. And what they did was they began to identify themselves according to those actions. The Apostle Paul has something similar to say in the book of Philippians. He says this in chapter 3. Speaking of the worldly, those who are lost, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. That means that's who they serve. Meaning their appetites, not just hunger, but fleshly appetites or who they serve, and their, this is the craziest verse, their glory is in their shame. That's what my buddies in high school were doing. It was awesome, man. It was, it was righteous. I'm totally misusing that word. That's a mid-90s reference, by the way, of cool. <laughs> their glory is in their shame. They felt camaraderie based upon the deeds of darkness. And so non-Christians here have an identity classified by the things not done in the light. Well, pastor, that's not me. That's definitely not me. Hold on, time out a minute. Let's just see how far this darkness extends. Because do you know what in our world today as adults, you you might not be like high schoolers anymore. Maybe you were at one point. But as adults, do you know how the darkness continues? People most prominently will think of their identity according to their jobs. Getting a promotion. That's what gives me value. That's who I am. If it's not that, it might be your possessions. We, we think of the things that we love, houses and cars and recreational vehicles. If it's not the things that we own, maybe it's how much money we have in the bank. Let me ask you the question. What of those things, your job, your possessions, or your checking account, would you trade it for Jesus? It's a good question to ask. How much is Jesus worth to you? Because this brings to focus your identity. Have you found it in your job or your possessions? Or in your money? Or do you define your identity as being a child of light? If someone were to come to me and say, 
Okay, why are you so important? Well, I'm, I'm the pastor of the church. I'm, I'm putting my own darkness ahead of the light. Even with a noble profession as being an elder in a church. Do you know what really gives me value? It's not that. I'm no different than you. Did I hear an amen on that? I'm no different than you. Amen. I'm no different than you. Jesus defines me. Give me Jesus. And that is all. Number six. A Christian's hope is salvation. You can't miss the second half of this, though, because this is where we goof this up. I do a whole nother 30 minute sermon just on number five here. So I'm going to try to get it done in two minutes. So pay close attention. A Christian's hope is salvation. What is salvation? Oh, he's going to heaven. I can't wait to get my mansion in the sky in the sweet by and by. I'm going to walk on streets of gold. I'm going to see my loved ones. Grandma's there. Grandpa's there. You, you know what that's like? That's like going to the movie theater to buy M&M's. That's what that's like. I think you're going for the wrong reason. I think you focused on the, on the wrong thing. No, that's, like, that's like going to Disney World for the parking pass. I, I think you went there for the wrong reason. You're sort of missing the whole reason why you've gone there. What, what, what's in heaven, folks? Oh, that was weak. Let's try that again. What's in heaven? Jesus. Jesus is in heaven. And here's the problem. For too long, Christians have thought, eh, that's good. I mean, I love Jesus and all, but really? Jesus forever? Hmm. Hmm. We need a better love of Jesus. You know where that starts? That starts by loving yourself less. That's where it starts. Because if you are not overcome with a singular white hot expectation to see your Savior, then what do you need a Savior for? Salvation is to live together with Jesus. I want to show you in the text where this comes from. So look with me in verse 9. Turn there. Verse 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation. There it is. Those are my streets of gold. Hold on, time out. Keep reading. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we may, what's it say? Live together with Him. That's salvation. And it begins now, folks. That's not a waiting for heaven moment. That's heaven and glory. That's return and resurrection. New heavens and new earth. But you know what's really good news? You can know Him now. You can pass the test now and you can live together with Jesus right now. This is what the Apostle Paul says, Philippians chapter one, as he's thinking about dying, he's in prison. He says, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. What two? His desire to go on living, that's going to mean fruitful labor and his desire to die to not be present in this body anymore. What does he think that will be? I desire to depart and what? Be with grandma. Wait a minute, what? What's it say? To be with Christ. That's what he longs for. Now, I don't want to take away from you all of the loved ones and everything that heaven holds, but just make sure you don't put the M&Ms ahead of the feature show, okay? Make sure you don't put the parking pass ahead of the mouse. I'm, I'm, my analogy's falling apart here, right? That's Mickey Mouse I'm talking about. 
Make sure you know what you're looking forward to in heaven. You need to make sure that it's Jesus. For he says that is better by far. So, again, that's I could go 30 more minutes on that. Y'all get it? Everybody understand what we, where we have to go on this one? We have to make sure that living together with Jesus is our great hope. Well, what about the non-Christian? Well, the non-Christian's destiny is to suffer God's wrath. Oh, it's a nice message for Sunday morning, right? I, I don't agree with that, Pastor. You know, that's the word that we have in our world today. Do you know where that comes from? That's that same student. I told you the test was coming. I told you to study and prepare for it. But you wanted to do what you wanted to do instead. You didn't want to do what you were supposed to do. And now that test day has arrived, who are they blaming? They're blaming the teacher. Is it the teacher's fault? What do you think? Not the teacher's fault. The whole world out there that says, well, uh, you know what? God's wrath, you believe in a God of wrath? You can have a God of wrath. I'm going to do what I want to do instead. Well, guess what? Finals day is going to come. And on that day, you will have no one to blame but yourself. And if you struggle with that, listen, it's as simple as this. One word sermon. Ready? Repent. Repent. That's all it takes. Turn from your sins. Change your mind for the things you love and put Jesus number one in your life. That's what it means to repent and you'll have passed the test. Well, now, however, you don't live in darkness anymore. Now you live in the light. So you get to live as though you're a child of the light. But for those who are asleep, their destiny is to suffer God's wrath. I want to show you where this comes from. Again, same verse, Philippians 3.19. Their destiny is destruction. One other place that I think is most helpful for this is because as that student of mine was carrying on playing basketball, loved to play basketball, playing video games, loved to play video games, study physics, nope. Every moment he spent pursuing his own desire was heaping up a worse future for himself because he wasn't doing what he should have been doing. Paul says something very similar to this in the book of Romans. I want to, I have it up here on the screen. I'd like to read it to you. Paul says this, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But to those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Whose fault is that? It's their own fault. This isn't God punishing you for something he thinks is wrong. This is you continuing to live in the wrong way, storing up more judgment for yourself. Now you could be free of it all. You could. There it is at the top. Get rid of your stubbornness. Get rid of your unrepentant heart. You'll pass the test. But that's the last conclusion I have for us here. Non-Christians' destiny is to suffer God's wrath. If you look with me back in the scriptures, chapter 5, verse 9, once more, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. Uh, This word appoint, it means to put or to place. Hear hear me now. We're we're wrapping up. I'm getting, getting close to the end. God has taken you like like a special dish that you have. In our house, we have some special dishes for birthdays. 
Right? Do you have anything like that, like happy birthday plate or something? And when there's, a, when there's a birthday, that dish gets set apart for a special purpose. That's what this exact word is meaning in verse 9. God has not set you in the position of wrath. He set you apart from that. So you need to live like you're in that line and not the other line. You need to live as though you belong to that Heavenly Father and not the God of your stomach. Um, there's, a, there's a restaurant that we would go to when we lived in Texas called the Cheesecake Factory. Anyone ever been to the Cheesecake Factory? There's one in Milwaukee. There's one in Madison. You got to drive a little bit to get the one around here. They got good food at the Cheesecake Factory. Guess, guess what they put first on their menu? Cheesecake. Oh, uh, yeah, you got it. Cheesecake. You know what I'm going to have for dinner? Dessert. <laughs> have cheesecake for dinner. Um, if you go there and the food's really good and you just keep ordering more and ordering more and ordering more, you know that too much of a good thing is not a good thing. Did anybody know that? Right? Come on, you donut Christians. You know what I'm saying, right? Too much of a good thing actually isn't a good thing. Well, if you at this restaurant keep ordering and keep ordering and keep ordering, what's going to come at the end of the night? They're going to expect you to pay for all that, right? This is the life of an unbeliever. This is the life of an unbeliever. Do you know that there's a lot of good that's out in the world? But that good must not impinge upon the best. And when it does, you're going to have to pay. And the more the unbeliever continues to indulge and continues to live and continues to sleep through the awareness of his return in the pacification of their own repentance for the embracing of their flesh... Guess what's going to come at the end of the night? The bill is going to come due. Now, for some people, that's a longer bill. It's a shorter bill. For some, it's crazy long. You can have that paid. That's the other metaphor we would use other than a test. It can be paid by the blood of Jesus. But for the non-Christian, their destiny is to suffer God's wrath. So what do we do with this? I want to help you answer this question. How should Christians prepare for Jesus' return? Number one, be alert. Look with me back in the text once more, verse six. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert. This word alert does not simply mean having your eyes open. It's the same word that Peter uses in 1 Peter 5. He says, be alert and sober minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Uh, did you guys hear the news report that there is uh, a pack of wolves outside the church? Do you hear that? 30 wolves outside the church. I just, just came over to the radio two minutes ago. So when you leave here and you walk to your car, say a little prayer. Say a little prayer. Now, if that were true, there's not, by the way. Parents tell your kids, pastors not telling the truth. If there were wolves outside, how would you walk to your car? Do you always walk to your car with your eyes open? Yes. How many of you walk out there like this? You're you're all walking with your eyes open. Understand, to be alert is not just having your eyes open. To be alert means you're actually doing one of these. Right? Do you see the difference? You're actually... Kind of, kind of paying, paying attention because you're interested. It's the difference of how I watch Alaskan bush people and how my wife watches Alaskan bush people. Right? One of us is interested and the other isn't. 
When it comes to the return of Jesus, you need to be alert. And to be alert means more than just having your eyes open. It means making sure that you're watching because this verse is true. Number two, you need to be self-controlled. The NIV that I have says self-control. The the larger number of English translations, though, use the word sober. You need to be sober. In fact, that was the same uh, two words used by Peter in our, our passage that we just had. If you look with me back to verse six. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled or sober. If you look again in verse eight, he says, but since we belong to the day, let us be what? Self-controlled or sober-minded. So the word sober here uh, literally means do not be overcome by or distracted by. Pay attention and then stay in control. If you put somebody who's not sober behind the wheel of a car, what's going to happen? You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt others. You put people in danger. Now imagine this. As, as, As high a stakes as that is to get into a motor vehicle and drive when you're not sober, your life is a vehicle that you right now are piloting. Did you know that? Your life that you have on earth right now for as many years as God has given you, it's a vehicle that you are driving through this world. What if you're not sober? Think of, think of the ruin that can come now. Not a, not a temporary DUI, not a hit a tree, not I got to call the insurance company. But I may have jeopardized my everlasting soul because I'm not self-controlled. I'm drunk with the things of this world. I've been overcome with the desires of the flesh and the lies that come from the evil one. So the call here is to be self-controlled. Number three, you need to arm yourselves for battle. Um, I'm going to cover this quickly, but this is another one that takes some more time to do justice on. Look with me back in verse eight. Everybody with me? First Thessalonians five, eight. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet There's another passage in the New Testament where Paul unpacks this concept of battlement armor better. It's called the armor of God. It's found in the book of uh, Ephesians. I have it up here on the screen. Let me just read it for you real quick. Paul says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes. You may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The call to the Christian as to what you and I are supposed to be doing as we're waiting for the return of Jesus is to put on the armor. Now, imagine that you got called up like a couple of our folks here to the National Guard, right? You get called up and they send you to the state capitol and they say you need to be there at 0600. And you show up in your pajamas. How's that going to go? Man, what are you you thinking? What are you doing? Here's the problem. I don't know how to be delicate with this. I feel like a lot of Christians are living this way. Maybe it's my own weakness. 
Do you know how often I need to be reminded of God's truth? Do you know how often? Well, pastor, you know, Sunday probably is good enough for you, right? Multiple times a day. Do you know how many times doubts and fears and questions plague me? I mean, I'm just, I'm not as good as you, I guess. I, I'm, I must be weaker. That I need to be reminded of God's love as displayed to me in his revealed word. I need it all the time. I don't see most of you at Bible study, though. Again, I apologize that I don't know how to be delicate with this. My assumption is maybe you're, you, you must be going to some other church Bible study. You must be fellowshipping with another community of believers so that you can study this. Or maybe you just have it better than I do. But if you don't, I think you might be going into battle in your pajamas. I need continual sharpening. I need continuals reminder to face this world so that I act more like Jesus and less like Ryan. You guys with me on that? I know you're kind of quiet right now. How do you feel about that? Amen on that? What do you, I mean, we, we need this because otherwise you're not arming yourself for this fight that's happening. <laughs> uh, it's, it's like the devil. Uh, when, I, when I was uh, older, I'm still older than my sister, but when I got stronger than her, you could, you, could, you could take her fist and you could do this. Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. Remember doing that? Come on, older brothers. You remember doing that? Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. Man, I hope the devil's not doing that with you. Because you're just not prepared. Because you have not armed yourself for the battle. All right, lastly, number four is this. This is a big one. I'm going to end on this one. Encourage one another and build one another up. Build each other up. Up. Look with me back in the text in verse 10. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Now, when I, again, was in high school, we would be training during football season, lifting weights. And when you were lifting weights, you had a spotter. Do you guys know what a spotter is? That's the person who's kind of helping you as you're benching 120 pounds. You know what the, you know what the spotter is supposed to do? Not just catch it if it falls. You know what a good spotter does? They say, you can do it. Come on, man, you can do it. Have you guys seen those commercials for those, those bicycles that don't go anywhere? Peloton or whatever. Have you seen those commercials? There, there was one I saw the other day. Because you know what they have? They've got a big screen in front. So there you are, sweating bullets, exercising, wanting to quit. And what's the guy on the screen telling you to do? Keep going. You can do it. This one guy, he said, they can't stop you. They can't defeat you. And I'm like, yeah, I'm getting a Peloton. I mean, that's what the church ought to be. That's how you and I should encourage one another. Keep going. You can do this. They can't stop you. They can't defeat you. That's what this text says. Encourage one another. But the second one, I have it here in blanks that you can write out. To build each other up. This is the one that we have to work on more. When you're building a wall with bricks, the bricks will fall down unless they're interlocking. Anybody ever do masonry work? Am I wrong on this? If you don't interlock those bricks, if they all follow the same seam, they're very weak. You can have a wall, but you can push it down. But once those blocks interlock with one another, they hold and grip onto each other, and the whole wall becomes stronger for that. You will be tempted in your Christian walk because of fear, 
because a bunch of petty unforgiveness in your heart, you will be tempted to try to do this by yourself. We have to do better at this, especially right now when we have something like COVID seeking to divide us, when our congregation is split in three different locations. Not my word. Read the Bible. Encourage one another and build each other up. We had, this, uh, we had this plant that would grow in the Caribbean. It was called Mimosa Pudica. It was like, I actually have seeds of it right now. Beautiful little plant. But when it grows, it sprouts. Uh, the stem of it is so weak that as it begins to grow, the, the more growth it gets, it begins to tip. And it's, it's actually designed as a weed that grows around other plants so that it inter, interlocks with the branches and the stems of the other plants around it. And it can grow higher and higher and higher with this beautiful iridescent purple flower on the top. But if it grows by itself, do you know what it does? Tips right over and dies. You need each other. I'd love it if you just turned to your neighbor and said, I need you. Could you do that? Turn to your neighbor and say, I need you. And, and now turn to your other neighbor and say, you need me. You need me, brother. Oh, <laughs> let, let me share with you how the, how the writer of the book of Hebrews says this. He says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on. This is the picture of a guy who's running a race. And what do you say to the runner? Keep going. You can do it. Don't quit. Keep going. Let's spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as, catch this now, as you see what? Jesus' return. This is what you and I must do. So how do you, Christian, how do you prepare for Jesus' return? Return, be alert. That means not just eyes open, but you're looking. Be sober, self-controlled. Don't, don't give in to everything, but show that you are in control. Make sure you're arming yourself. Equip yourself. We got a lot of opportunities to do that here at Grace. And then lastly, be interlocking with one another. I got one, one last metaphor, and then I'm, I'm, I'm through. Um, when, I'm, when I'm barbecuing, I love to use charcoal. Anybody else with me? Char- charcoal grilling? L- love to use charcoal. If, you, if you're going to start your charcoal, though, you got to get it in a big heap. And you start it, put the lighter fluid on, it gets going, Right? After it gets going, you'll have some pieces that are glowing white and red hot, and you'll have some other black ones. But those black ones will be heated up by the other ones as long as they're in close contact. But every now and then, when I'm starting a grill fire, one of these charcoal briquettes will fall off to the side and be separated from the rest. And you know what happens to that one? Burns out. Burns out does nothing because it's separated from the rest. If you in your life feel that maybe the heat and the love, the presence of God is maybe waning or distanced in your life, might I submit to you that you might need to come back into the coal fire? That we might not need to be together and that when we are here together, we're reminded of that single God that we love and worship together so that that flame continues to grow. I'll leave you this morning with this, the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 25. Jesus gives a parable Again, speaking to the disciples in the crowd about his second coming, this is what he says. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but not take any, did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. Kind of sounds like they were prepared. 
Right? Tracking with me? The bridegroom was a long time in coming. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil. Buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Some people just want to envision Jesus the way you would recreate God in your image. This is Jesus' exact words. On that day, final exam is coming. You, if you're not prepared, you're going to be tempted to want to blame the teacher. You'll only be able to blame yourself. Won't you pass the test right now? Won't you get the bill paid right now? Let's pray together.